I tell them my goal is not to reconcile your marriage. My goal is for the two of you to figure out, is there enough left to save? Because after betrayal, you have to re-choose each other. And nobody should stay in a marriage mm-hmm. out of duty or obligation. That would be, that would be a terrible way to live life. Uh, trying to perform at a level that they'll keep you as their spouse. That's ridiculous. So you both have to choose each other again and start over. And really, in this process, you will teach your kids how to have a really good marriage. Even if they're already married, as they watch this transformation take place. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we're here today with our usual host, Dr. Greg Miller, and uh, the Director of Faithful and True, Debbie Laser. Deb, great to see you again. And our special guest today, Dave Carter. Dave has served as the pastor responsible for counseling ministries at the First Evangelical Free Church of Fullerton, California, for over 30 years. Dave holds a graduate degree in biblical literature and counseling psychology, as well as a marriage and family therapy uh, degree. His publishing credits include Secrets of Your Family Tree, Torn Asunder, Close Calls, and Anatomy of an Affair. Dave and his wife, Ronnie, have four adult children and ten grandchildren. That's quite an accomplishment by itself. Dave... Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us. You're most welcome. Those 10 grandkids live too close. I don't even have a life of my own now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are, very, we are very glad that you are here and that you were willing to join us. And, you know, one thing that wasn't said is that you are a good friend to Faithful mm. and True. And you literally were friends with Mark and Deb and just, I know through conversations with them, a great support to their work, but we know that you are a great friend to Faithful and True, and we are very thankful mm. for that. So thanks for being willing to oh, be with I'm glad us. to. That goes back to the late 80s. Yeah. It does. <laughs> yeah, it really does. I was after Deb for years before she went back to school to go and get a degree. <laughs> He was. I think you were there when I was first dragged up to the microphone at AACC and uh, encouraged me to do more of that. So I'll always appreciate that. Uh, But yes, you brought a lot of wisdom to our work and and just a lot of friendship to Mark's in my life. And we can't thank you enough for that, Dave, and your lovely wife, Ronnie. So thanks for taking the time. I know you're really busy with family and life and um, and we really appreciate having someone with as much wisdom as you do in the field of, you know, sexual infidelity. And uh, we even thought it might be nice if you could summarize quickly how in the world you got into this field anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> quickly, Dave. I know it could be a whole podcast. <laughs> well, um, my senior pastor ran off with um, another woman in the church. And to make a long story short, I flew to Dallas-Fort Worth, tracked him down, and tried to talk him into coming back. And and he wouldn't do it. Uh, Not then, anyway. And um, they just blew up the church. 
And I went back uh, from that visit to him uh, in a, a rental car with a friend of mine driving. And I leaned over to him as we pulled into the Hertz lot. I said, I'm going back to graduate school, and I'm going to figure out why pastors do this. I've only worked with three of them, and two of them ran off with other women in the church. So I started mm. um, back into getting gathering prerequisites in psychology at the local university and spent a number of years after that collecting different kind of graduate and certification processes. So here I am. Okay. I was madder than a hornet. God damn it. He ruined my life, I thought. <laughs> well, you know, um, I know that you are associated with the church. So what are some of the benefits and what are some of the challenges of uh, counseling practice being so closely associated with the church? Well, uh, interesting. Uh, basically, I oversaw a large peer counseling program with about up to 60 peer counselors at a time. And then we did a lot of 12-step groups and eating disorder groups and alcohol recovery stuff. And I actually didn't have a private counseling practice in the church. They did give me a number of hours, six hours to be exact, over the years uh, to do off-site in an office building. And um, that's where I had the private practice. But the other work was all group-related or um, uh, peer-oriented. Peer we did 15 visits, okay. no charge. Love that kind. I love that kind of work. I think calling alongside, in the ear to listen well, you can't beat it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So and you ended up being kind of a yep. supervisor for Yeah, and I had other supervisors whatever. I worked right. with to yep. supervise them as well. Yeah. So when, one of the things that we talk to to the men that come to our workshop is they're often often talking about looking for a safe community or looking for a safe church. And one of the things I encourage men to look for is a church that values mm. recovery and transformation and counseling. Um, because if you can find a place that has that community, it is going to be a safe place. And it sounds like that's part of, you know, one of the things that you did was even change the culture of the church to create a safe space for people yeah. who were hurting it, it and struggling. Worked, uh, in my life, and it worked in their lives. And we went from maybe 15, 20 people when I got there to up into the hundreds. And the fire marshal would actually come and lock the door to the chapel. No more people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is a good problem to have. Well, um, as Deb said, we know that you work with couples. So how would you describe the typical couple that first shows up looking for help? Well, most of my couples are once-in-a-lifetime sexual betrayal, meaning this isn't a regular mm -hmm. habit. There aren't multiple partners. Uh, there might be typical uh, sexual temptation along the way, but this is the first time they've stepped over the line and developed intercourse with somebody. So uh, th that person, I call that ego-dystonic behavior, meaning it's contrary to stated values and beliefs. And uh, I, I don't think it's a form of psychopathology. I really try to get them plugged into a recovery process that involves them. It's not just standard marital therapy. 
but they're working, each of them are working, each of them are doing structured exercises. Uh, if I'm going to help them off-site, off-campus, um, my hour is added to that. So we often get 50 hours of therapy, good, hard work in 12 to 14 weeks. So I learned this through my first clinical supervisor um, who ran a 30-bed alcohol rehab program and uh, also through the first therapist we went to, my wife and I, uh, at the University of um, Michigan State. He was very helpful to us. So that's kind of how I, it all began. Yeah. And would you say that most of those couples show up with hope that their marriage can be reconciled, that there can be healing, or is part of your role, even if there's been a one-time betrayal, to help them to understand that there is hope going Well, forward? hope is always important, but I tell them my goal is not to reconcile your marriage. My goal is for the two of you to figure out, is there enough left to save? Because after betrayal... You have to re-choose each other. And nobody should stay in a marriage mm -hmm. out of duty or obligation. That would be, that would be a terrible way to live life. Uh, trying to perform at a level that they'll keep you as their spouse. That's ridiculous. So you both have to choose each other again and start over. And really, in this process, you will teach your kids how to have a really good marriage. Even if they're already married as they watch this transformation right. take place. So, One of the things I'm aware of, Dave, is that you also do some discerning about whether uh, a couple, when they come to you, are dealing with larger sexual addiction mm. issues, yeah. potentially, and not just a one-time affair crossing the yeah. line. Um, what, do you, what do you do at that point? Well, uh, if I suspect that there's more than the single episode or the single experience, uh, I turn to the spouse and I'll ask, we'll say the guy did this, okay? I mean, it's about 50-50 now in frequency studies, and it's the women's side's rising all the time. So uh, let's say, though, the guy had the sexual acting out episode. So I'll turn to the wife, and I'll ask the wife four questions. And I say, well, let's find out if you are really ready to do couple work. Because sexual addiction is an individual issue. It might not be a marital issue at all. In fact, he would have done this probably no matter who he married. You couldn't keep him from it, so to speak. Right. So uh, I ask her the four following questions. Do you believe that your spouse has a stable, well-connected uh, sobriety? Um, uh, is it solid? Because you're going to be doing hard work and you can't be worried all the time if, if he's going to relapse in this case. And so we explore what that means. In fact, I tell her at the beginning, I need four yes answers to start couples work. So no's, I'm not sure. They, they don't count, okay? So that's the first question. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the second question. The first question, has he stopped? Do you believe that he's abstinent mm -hmm. right now? Okay. Second question, do you believe he has a stable sobriety? The third question is... Uh, do you believe that your spouse has developed a spirit of humility uh, and where he's accepting responsibility for his behavior? And you don't have to fret over asking certain questions for fear of uh, anger, emotional outbursts and everything and, and shutting you up. And the last one, do you, do you believe that your spouse um, 
has a spirit of serenity? Or are you always walking on eggshells around him during this time that he can't act out and doesn't really have uh, maybe a good therapy base underneath him? You can't ask a wife to move towards her husband in couples therapy until all four of these conditions are met. And the person who decides if they're met is the wife in this case. You choose, okay? I tell them, first uh, effort at rehab is going to be your best effort. So it's very important that you start the process at the most opportune time that guarantees you the best success. Do, do you have a sense of the time frame? Like, does it take six months for a wife to get to that place of confidence? Um, I, and I know that every couple is different and it varies, but do you have like a time frame that you kind of look for or anticipate in order for a wife to get to that place of confidence in her husband's sobriety, have a sense of serenity, feeling safer in the relationship? Well, uh... That's a great question. Everybody wants to know the answer to that question, Greg. You can quit therapy and start selling that, okay? <laughs> but uh, I actually don't have a sense of time. I, I say to the woman in this case, uh, you need to trust your gut because diving into this and backing out will only prolong the pain and ruin the, the chances of recovery. So you've got to feel secure in your own spirit before we would engage in couples work to answer those four questions with a yes. So you might need to do some individual therapy. You might need to see your husband do individual therapy and work through some of the trauma that maybe precipitated his sexual acting out episodes and and trauma, things like that. Uh, EMDR might be something he'll need to kind of work his way through. Um, The whole point is trust yourself. Don't trust me. Don't trust the lie detector. Don't trust anything but your heart. We have to rebuild the wife's intuition in herself with God's help. Right. Would, would you say your encouragement is moved slower rather than quickly? Like, are there times where you might encourage a spouse to kind of slow down because it feels like maybe she's rushing and not trusting? Or even if a wife wants to move quickly, you're still going to go at her pace? Um, a single episode, I have taken on some cases where uh, I thought couples were a little early, uh, but uh, uh, a checkered history, no, 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 I, I put that off. I said, I tell couples all the time, save me for when you're really ready to benefit most from what I have to offer you, okay? okay. I can't fix you, right. but you can work on yourself, so uh, I'm not... I tell people, I'm not going anywhere that I know of, so I'll hang around, so call me when you're ready. <laughs> yeah, and I love this about your process, Dave, because there are times when you have sent folks to us because we do specialize in sexual right. addiction treatment, and um, I, I appreciate that you get very specific about what their next steps are and not to waste time, and I know Mark and I working with couples felt the same way that it was really a waste of time and their money to try to do marriage work without certain things like sobriety and um, talking honestly to each yeah. other in a humble place, all those questions you yeah. ask. So it's very consistent with what yeah. we believe here yeah. too. We got to get first things first. Yeah. I know. That's why I love and you I guys. Like Don't you ever leave me. But you know, it I, helps I'm us just... a lot too when you send people and they've already 
have the suspicion from you and your intake with them that they have more of a problem. And I think when they come, they're more serious about working on that because they've already had a professional who's done some of that assessment. And so, you know, they're not depending on themselves or a wife being angry or whatever's going on there uh, to get started. So it's very helpful to have, you know, a therapist, and maybe you were doing that in the church setting too, where you were training people enough to know that, just being unfaithful has a big continuum and we have to be more yeah. specific about what, what is the yeah. history around that so that we can direct them m- more correctly to the help that right. they need. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely just curious in the years that you've been working in the field, are you seeing an increase in the number of couples that are dealing with sexual addiction and you know, there, there are more than just one, a fair situation, or would you say in the years that you've been there, the percentage has stayed about? Oh, the no, I, I think it's on the increase, uh, no, no doubt about that. I, I offer couples uh, a free consult, which is probably, uh, well, it's, I'm sure it's very helpful to them in the sense that it kind of clarifies uh, where they need to go and the directions they need to take and what the uh, um, benefits are of each. So, um, I have a whole set of questions that I ask these couples in that um, consult time, the first one. You probably can hear my little uh, puppy barking in the background. Yeah, <laughs> he wants to be in the office here with me. <laughs> oh, well, you can come on in. We like to. That's a, we're a big fan of, of recovery pads. Well, so. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> let me take my headphones off, let the door, he'll come in, and he'll lay right here at my feet. I'll be right okay. back. Okay. These animals are, are very intuitive, aren't they, Greg? They don't want to be left That's out, right. not included. <laughs> they, one of our our animals are. have abandonment okay. issues. Sorry right. about that. <laughs> no problem. Um, so what I hear is a couple may come to you or enter a program. You assess that there's some addiction energy. They may step away from working with you and go after that. And then when they're ready to answer, when the wife is ready to answer those questions, positively, then that's when you begin to work yeah. with them specifically around yeah. recovery yeah. in their marriage. And it's important, Greg, to, uh, in my thinking, that these couples are exhausted. They're at their wit's end. Uh, they're in a fog. Uh, they often don't know if they can make it through another therapy process, etc. So my goal, I tell them, I'm going to bring you as close to each other as I possibly can, can as quickly as I can do it. And you're going to find out if it's a fit or not. Okay. I'm not going to mess around mm-hmm. and let you kind of, we wander through the wilderness here and you try to figure that out. I'm going to actually, uh, so to speak, generate any anxiety that's left by pulling you closer together. And, you know, when mm-hmm. anxiety blocks emotion and, and, uh, I want to get rid of that anxiety between the two people. I, I want to see if we can. I'm not sure we always can. Right. So um, that's one of my favorite phrases all the time. Anxiety blocks affect. Anxiety blocks affect. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. As you are working with a couple, are there some general themes that you see that cause people to be resistant towards moving oh, towards yeah. each other? Like, are there some patterns? Yeah, and many times those patterns, just like 
a couple I was working with recently, they, the patterns come from mom and dad and the family of origin, and mm -hmm. the spouse slips right into the same practices and uh, uh, it kind of unbeknownst to the, to the wife, and lo and behold, we've got a multi-generational uh, setup here that's contributing to this disruption. So um, they have to become aware of where they learned these, where they found these, what they brought with them uh, into the marriage. Uh, that really doesn't have to do with a spousal relationship as much as it does individual history. So... Mm -hmm. And is that work that you do with them to help them to on understand that? On a superficial that? level. So um, my mm -hmm. couples uh, will do, uh, when we get started, the very first week's exercise is uh, three 20-minute monologues. I do monologues. They, I assign monologues. And they talk 20 minutes nonstop with the spouse listening can't interrupt, can't ask questions, can't make faces, can't take notes, can't anything, okay? They're just going to give their spouse 20 minutes of undivided attention, listening to what their spouse says. And they have three time zones, birth to nine, 10 to 15, 16 to 21. And they're going to outline emotionally charged experiences in each of those time zones. And one will go one day, the other will go the next day, and... Uh, They'll work their way through it. it. They might be exhilarating. They might be frightening. They might be uh, terrifying. They might be uh, thrilling, uh, uh, warm. I don't care. What they, they have to be emotionally charged. And I give them a whole list of 25 topics to kind of think about and choose from. I want these couples to find out what we call contributive factors to a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It, they didn't cause it, but they contributed to it. And most of my couples find somewhere between 30 and 40 of those in the course of therapy. You know, um, what's interesting is just from my own bias, when you talked about emotionally charged experiences, I immediately started identifying what we might see as the painful, the difficult, yeah. the negative. But for you to open that up, really, it's there is some sort of intense emotional reaction and to share, whether it's positive, it may be joy, it may be hope, it may mm. be excitement, that type of thing. Do you find that when the couples do this, the spouse has heard about most of these? Or do you find that this is one of the first times that spouses are actually hearing about some of these Well, it's kind of a 50-50 split. But one thing I can tell you that happens, they come back and say to me the second week, we should have been doing this 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and it's when they share the painful things that it develops compassion in the heart of the spouse for their spouse. I don't care whether they're the betrayer or the betrayed. They, they begin to learn that there's other factors here. It's not just them. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite sayings uh, to my uh, sexually addicted people is what you're going to find out is you never had a chance in most cases. Okay, I, They just break into tears. I said, you might have made some bad choices on the journey, but you never had a chance. And it just, um, it's huge. 
It's relief. You right. finally, it, there, there's reasons for this. I'm not psychotic, you know, et cetera. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and, and even from my own personal experience, one of the most powerful things my therapist said to me was, it couldn't be yeah. any other way. And I remember yeah. hearing that, and there was a huge oh. mix of emotions. There was the yeah. gratitude that, like, somebody yeah. sees yeah. me. There was a relief. And there was also this profound yeah. sadness that this was the trajectory yeah. that was set for me from the very beginning, and this was going to be yeah. the natural conclusion. And so it's, it, it is. really is a mix, but it's truth, and truth, even painful truth, yep. sets us free. Exactly. One of the things, uh, I was talking with a woman earlier today, and uh, she and her husband have been working a, a really great program of, re of sex addiction recovery. And um, they, she was talking about some pattern that was happening over the Christmas holidays. And she stopped and she said to me, you know what I realize as I reflect on this is it really has nothing to do with addiction. Mm. It has everything to do about what we learned and brought into yeah. our marriage. And I said... You know, it, it is really wonderful when you get to the place where you can identify that, that everything about someone is not about yeah. their addiction, about something else about them. And, you know, life together in a relationship is complicated and we merge two very different mm -hmm. lives. So it makes yeah. sense. We have issues about a lot of different uh, things. So true. So true. It sounds like... Um, you have some similar beliefs uh, that we do about post-traumatic yeah. growth. And of course, that's my theme song. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, that you've experienced also that um, couples who go through hard things can actually transform to a better relationship, not just recover what they have, but actually attain Oh, if you don't make this better, I'm going to be disappointed. Seriously, I don't <laughs> I'm working for change, yeah. sweetheart. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I said that to a pastor's wife today. I said, you're going to love what comes out of this. I promise you. You will. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. Well, and we, we often communicate that somebody will say, oh, I just want the old marriage mm -hmm. back. And what we want them to understand is we don't mm -hmm. want the old marriage. We want this brand new marriage. That this old possible. marriage, look where it ended up, okay? Me, seeing me. Okay. Yes, kind of. That's, marriage does <laughs> not work good with three people in it. I'm going to get out of here as fast as I can, okay? Well, um, here's one, one thing one I know final... about you guys personally. I mean, I know, I know sexual addiction is not your journey or story, and yet you've put together some very effective things to work with couples with. And what I know watching you guys as a couple over the years is you have an incredible yeah. marriage and you do incredible things together. And and it just yeah. shows you're just different. Yeah. You delight in each yeah. other and it comes so naturally. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things Mark and I have always loved about people. Most of the time it comes naturally. <laughs> hey, you know what? Chuck one time asked us, there was eight or ten of us together at a table having dinner together. And he said, okay, you're coming back here tomorrow night, and you're going to tell me what is the most important thing you have learned from your spouse about your marriage. Good, good conversation, huh? So when it came my turn, I said this. Now, you got to understand, first, I'm German. Uh, my dad was American Indian. Uh, we never talked. Uh, you, know, you, just, you just do, do, do. You're great at doing all that kind of stuff. I said, my wife's most important contribution to my life is she taught me how to have fun. Okay. Yes. 
<laughs> well, that's that's one of our right, principles. Right, right. Because yeah, it's, yeah. That's, uh, that's we, right. we choose people who are exactly the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and I want you all to imagine Dave and Ronnie driving around in the little red yeah. convertible that they now yeah. own, <laughs> tooling around in Los Angeles area. Um, yep, I still drive that thing. So... Well, and that, that is probably a good place for us to end, that invitation yeah. to fun. Um, well, Dave, thanks for being with us. Thanks for sharing your experience. And we are thankful of uh, the partnership that we have with you and between you and Faithful and True. And for our listeners, um, if there's anything that has prompted your interest on this podcast, be sure and let us know. You can reach out to info at faithfulandtrue.com if you have questions or comments. We would love to hear from you. And as always, there's an invitation for those men who are struggling with sexual addiction to come and be a part of our workshop. We do one every month, and there's information about that on the website under the workshop tabs. And so we hope for you on your journey and that you will continue to become the men and women that God mm. created you to be. And before we sign off, uh, Greg, could we let uh, Dave give us some information about how people can reach you if they would like sure. to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you can go to Dave at DaveCarter.com. It's C-A-R-D with an a D and not T. Uh, on the, the website, I also list my phone number and how to make an appointment. I do consults as requested, no charge. So I'm glad to help people like that. And... Uh, uh, I suppose those are the two best ways. Yeah. Yeah, good. And I just want to also give a shout out for so, some of your books. I know Close Calls is a great resource to help couples um, protect their mm. marriages. We don't often think about mm. it that way, that our, our marriage is like it's a yeah. entity. Um, we need to do things to protect yeah. our marriage. So it has a lot of nice practical ideas about that. Yeah. And Well, so, let me just uh, to clarify, Close Calls is now at a print and has been replaced by anatomy of an affair oh thank yeah, you for yeah. mentioning that i wasn't aware of that yeah. okay anatomy of an affair okay very okay. good well thanks okay. again dave okay. you enjoyed it thank you guys for having me yeah, thank you we'd like to thank our good friend dave carter for joining us today on the faithful and true podcast as always we uh, appreciate spending time with dave and uh, sharing his uh, experience and great wisdom uh, if you have heard today's podcast and it's opened your eyes to the need to get the help that we provide at Faithful and True, we invite you to visit our website, faithfulandtrue.com, where you'll find lots of resources and lots of information about our upcoming three-day intensive workshops. We do the Men's Journey Workshop every month, and uh, if uh, you have decided that you have struggled long enough with your unwanted sexual behaviors or your struggles with pornography, we invite you to look seriously at coming and registering online to attend any of our upcoming three-day workshops. If you're a spouse of a man that's struggling, uh, we also have the Women's Journey workshops, and we have one of those coming up uh, in April as well. So until we see you again, we thank you for joining our podcast. And we hope that uh, the coming week for you will be filled with many blessings and great vision.